0: but these-
1: We'd like to welcome you to another edition, the Thanksgiving edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citrday.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and of course, this is The Jazz Show, a regular Monday night feature right here at CITR. And we have some birthday stuff to do a little later on in the show. We're going to be celebrating um actually our jazz feature is a birthday celebration in a way um birthday anniversary at least but actually actually uh tomorrow is the birthday of some very very important jazz musicians two of which are still with us and still performing because so many uh uh, I've often been uh, uh, teased a little bit about this by my good friends at Coastal Jazz and Blues. They, they say, gee, all you do is play dead guys on the show. <laughs> but unfortunately, uh, uh, so much great music was made by people that uh, are now unfortunately deceased. However, um, tomorrow, the 13th, uh, is the birthday of one of the greatest of all pianists. That's Art Tatum. So we'll be hearing some of his music, including his very first recordings. And uh, we're also going to pay tribute to the late, great bassist Ray Brown, who was one of the mainstays of uh, that instrument in modern jazz. And then two musicians that are still with us. They're not exactly spring chickens, but they are still performing and still alive. I'm talking about alto saxophonist Lee Konitz, who would be about 87 years old right now and still plays around New York City, travels overseas and uh is there it is and he was one of the the first um modern alto saxophonists not to sound like Charlie Parker. And uh he was very admired for all of that and is still is today. The other personage is a very um, ebullient man, outgoing, funny as hell, and one of the greatest exponents of the vibraphone. He is going to be 91 tomorrow, and I'm talking about Terry Gibbs. As a matter of fact, I think he's going to be 92. I'll I'll have to double check that. Anyway, that's getting up there. And he is still very active. Um, he's written a book about his about his life. Uh, he considers himself very fortunate because he's the only living member of the legendary Woody Herman Second Herd. And, um, of course, he's got stories about that uh, motley crew, one of the greatest big bands ever. But uh, interesting stories, shall we say. Terry Gibbs, we're going to hear some of his music uh, on the show. So we're going to celebrate those birthdays. But uh, our jazz feature is all about birthdays, or at least birthday anniversaries as well, because on October 10th it was the birthday of one of the great pioneers of modern jazz, Thelonious Monk. And on October 11th, one of the greatest of all jazz drummers, another modern jazz pioneer, great band leader and icon, I'm talking about Art Blakey, born on October 11th. Monk was born uh, 1917, and Art Blakey was born in 1919. Monk passed away in 1982, and Art Blakey died in 1990. During their lifetime, they were best of friends. They were very, very close, and they were both musicians who established their personalities not through going to school, and, and so on. Uh, they played their I- instruments. Uh, many people sort of uh, were appalled at the way they played their instruments because um, Blakey would play the drums with the s- sticks uh, up, upside down, backwards, and use different parts of the drum kit. Um, he definitely wasn't your uh, uh, correct drummer, but he established a style that has influenced drummers for down through the generations. Thelonious Monk was basically the same thing. Uh, Pianists would would look at Monk's posture at the piano and his hands and and just scratch their heads and say, well, how can the guy even play? (laughs) And yet Monk Monk was Monk. And uh, so there you go. Both of these men were, uh, um, I guess, in a way, musical uh, mavericks, but they established their personalities in a very strong way. As I said, they were the best of friends. They recorded a lot together, Uh, and Blakey was one of uh, Monk's favorite drummers. He's on a lot of important Thelonious Monk albums, but this is a a little different. This is a very special session. This is Thelonious Monk joining Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers for this once-in-a-lifetime recording session. Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers in 1957 consisted of Bill Hardman on trumpet, Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone from Chicago. He had played with Monk about a year or so earlier uh, when Monk went to Chicago as a single and picked up a band there. He played with Johnny Griffin. So Griffin was at least familiar with Monk's music. Uh, Bill Hardman was not the trumpet player. He had to learn from scratch and of course Art Blakey there was no problem there and the bass player as it turned out the bass player for the um bulk of the recording was uh Blakey's own bass player James Spanky De Brest young bass player from uh, Philadelphia wonderful bass player but there was a there's a bass player story here that I'll get into uh momentarily so that was the band. Uh, Monk agreed to do the date. He was only too happy to do this record date. Um, he had his, Monk had his own band going by this time, and was, his career was on the way up. But uh, he was so happy to get together with Art Blakey and do something with his band. He had two requests. One of them was that the bulk of the tunes that they were going to play were his, his compositions. So that was one of the challenges. And the other uh, request turned out to be a challenge was that Monk had a favorite bass player. And it was the bass player that he had played on that gig I told you about in Chicago. And that was the great Wilbur Ware. And Wilbur Ware had moved to New York by this time and became Monk's favorite bass player. So Monk wanted him on the date. Everything was all set up. The band showed up uh, at the appointed hour. I guess, I think it was 7.30 at the Atlantic Studios. Everybody was there on time. Even Monk, who was a notoriously tardy person, he was there on time, ready to go, the whole band, except for Wilbur Ware. Nowhere to be be seen. And uh, they waited, paced the floor. Where the hell is he? All of a sudden... Boom. Coming up the stairs, stumbling up the stairs was Wilbur Ware. Cab driver, poor guy, he was a little guy, carrying Wilbur's bass. Wilbur was a big man, quite capable of doing it himself, but unfortunately, uh, he was very loaded. (laughs) So uh, everybody knew Wilbur's habits, but they also knew that he could rally And he did that so many times, he'd show up to gigs not in the greatest of shape, rumpled clothes, half drunk, all this kind of stuff. But as soon as he put his hands on the bass, the music happened. So they thought maybe this was going to happen this time. So uh, they finally organized and started to play the session. And they started with the easiest tune, which was Monk's great tune, Blue Monk. The straight 12-bar blues in B flat, and there th- should have been no problem. Wilbur Ware played. They did a, a few false starts, um, a, a couple of takes, and they were going to have a band discussion. They turned away. Wilbur Ware promptly uh, lay down on the floor, put his bass down, and fell asleep. Almost into a coma, They couldn't wake him up. They realized that their bass player was not going to happen. And, of course, they were in a recording studio. Money, time, everything was of the essence. So, Blakey and Monk had a conference, and Blakey said, I'm going to try to get hold of my own bass player. And Monk was a little bit reluctant and they had further discussion. Finally, after about a half an hour of, of the two guys talking uh, fairly animatedly and privately, um, Blakey said, Well, uh, I'm going to call my bass player. Hopefully, he's at home. And uh, this was long before cell phones and stuff like that. Hopefully, he's at home, and he can come into the studio, and the record company will pay for his transportation, that sort of thing. Anyway, the call was made, and... James Spanky DeBrest arrived with his bass, and the session proceeded. But it took all night to record this album because the band uh, had to learn all of Monk's tunes to play. (laughs) So anyway, the company was ready to pay for the time, and as it turned out, this whole recording turned into a classic, once-in-a-lifetime classic. And that's what we're going to hear on the jazz feature this evening. But I'm going to start out with one tune, one the one acceptable tune that was recorded with the original bass player, Mr. Wilbur Ware. Uh, he's he's okay on it. He's he's just barely hanging on. But I thought I would play that as 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 an interest, and then we'll go on with the other uh, tunes from the regular session. So without further ado, this was all recorded uh, May the 14th and then through the night into the 15th in 1957 in New York at Atlantic Studios. So we have Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone, Bill Hardman on trumpet. We have um, Art Blakey on drums, and of course Thelonious Monk at the piano. And on this particular track, Wilbur Ware on bass, the original bass player. And uh, we'll listen to this right now. And this is their version of uh, of uh famous blues, Blue Monk. So I hope you enjoy this uh, never-before-released version of this tune, beginning our jazz feature this evening. Well, there you have it that's uh, <laughs> that 's that's one of the reasonably well reasonably acceptable uh, takes with uh, wilbur ware there 's a whole bunch of false starts, and there there's an earlier take of that too, which is even more ragged than this one but um, that was what happened and uh, I just thought i 'd play you that previously unreleased take from this session then of course um, as I said, the uh, the new bass player came in, Art Blakey's regular bass player, and the the formal uh, recording process uh, took place. Now there wasn't there was a lot of uh, false starts. It was a, the session took all night. A lot of times jazz sessions uh, were finished in two hours, three hours, but this one because they were dealing with Monk's music and it was it was difficult, and the trumpet player um, Bill Hardman didn't know the music. Um, and Monk refused to bring out the sheet music he He insisted on the musicians learning the tunes internally by ear, and Monk virtually taught them uh some of the tunes in the in the studio and um, When Bill Hardman demanded or asked Monk politely uh, to bring out the sheet music, uh, monk just says, yeah it 's in there, but uh, you 're not going to see it you don 't need it." Uh, I I don't want you to do any reading. I want you to internalize the music and play it. That's the only way it's going to sound good. And so uh, that takes time. And at least Atlantic Records was willing to pay for the time for the musicians. Uh, Most small jazz record companies would have thrown up their hands and canceled the session. But Atlantic Records had some money behind them and They continued, and uh, it ended up being this classic session. So we're going to move now to a couple of tunes uh, by Monk and the band. And once again, the band is Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone, Bill Hardman on trumpet, uh, Thelonious Monk on piano, and Art Blakey on drums, and Blakey's regular bass player, Spanky DeBrest, James DeBrest. Well, that's a great name, isn't it? And uh, we're going to hear two tunes. The first one is um, called Evidence, uh, which is based on an old standard called Just You, Just Me. And the second one is dedicated to one of Monk's best friends, pianist Bud Powell. And this is based on the old uh, Irving Berlin standard, Blue Skies. And Monk uh, wrote a variation on those chord progressions. He called it In Walked Bud. And then we're going to follow that with uh, one of my favorite tracks from the whole album, I Mean You, and we'll carry on from there, and I'll tell you the tunes after we hear the rest of the recording. So here we go to the formal recording session now. These are the master takes after a lot of time, and we start with the tune Evidence.
0: Thank you Thank you. Thank you. Thank you
1: And that's our jazz feature this evening. Our Blakey's Jazz Messengers with the one and only Thelonious Monk at the piano. And, of course, changing the sound and the concept of the Jazz Messengers because, uh, as I mentioned, Monk had two requests um, to do this date. And one of them was, uh, uh, unfortunately, not really... uh, um, possible, and that was um, for them to use his uh, regular, his favorite bass player, who was Wilbur Ware, but uh, as uh, I mentioned in the preamble, Wilbur Ware was incapable of finishing the date, and Blakey's regular bass player was brought in. And the other request, of course, was that they record mostly Monk tunes, and of course that meant lots of time in the recording studio for especially trumpeter Bill Hardman to learn the tunes and then Johnny Griffin and Bill Hardman to learn how to play them properly together and uh, create some harmony and uh, some unison. And uh, this was this was really tough. The, and uh, it took them all night to record this album, but they eventually came out with this classic. And, of course, it is the one and only time when Monk, joined Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers and, um, and recorded with them. Blakey, of course, uh, was a sideman on many, many Monk recordings. And these two guys, as I mentioned, Polonius um, was born in uh, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, on October 10th, 1917. And Art Blakey was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on October 11th. 1919, and they were the best of friends. And Art Blakey and Monk, not only best of friends, but uh, musical compatriots. They, they complimented one, one another, and uh, Blakey is on so many of Thelonious's uh, very famous and very important recordings. And of course, this is, uh, this is the situation reversed, whereas Monk is joining Art Blakey's group. The people involved in the group, of course, uh, the Chicago Fire. Johnny Griffin on tenor saxophone, who did have some previous experience playing with Monk, um, back in 1955, Monk went to Chicago as a single, picked up a band there, and Griffin was the saxophone player, so he had some familiarity with Monk. Uh, incidentally, in the following year, after this recording session, Monk, or Monk remembered uh, Johnny's uh, abilities on the tenor saxophone, and he... Uh, became Monk's regular tenor saxophonist uh, after John Coltrane left and uh, rejoined Miles Davis. So um, Monk held Johnny Griffin in very high esteem. Trumpeter Bill Hardman was uh, fairly uh, new to New York. He he, uh, moved from Cleveland, Ohio. And, of course, uh, played with Mingus for a a time and then joined Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. He was part of the Jazz Messengers uh, from late 1956 to uh, right through uh, the year 1957. And, of course, he's here on this recording. On bass was uh, Blakey's regular bassist as well. And uh, his name, James Spanky DeBrest. Spanky was uh, from Philadelphia and uh he passed away in 1972 a very fine and very solid bass player anybody who had to p- played with Art Blakey had to be had had to have a big sound and a really solid concept and uh we heard lots of uh uh good solos and good accompaniment on this uh album so that's it and it was all done for Atlantic Records As I mentioned before, um, the recording took all night on May 14th and May 15th. They finished the following morning. And the tunes we heard pretty well in order of appearance. Now, we opened with this um, version of uh, Blue Monk, which was just beginning the session with bassist Wilbur Ware. Um, And then we brought in all the regular recordings that were released on the classic album. Beginning with Evidence. Uh, a monk. These are all monk compositions. Evidence, of course, is based on a standard tune, uh, but as a very, uh, very, it's, it's kind of had a, a very difficult melodic line, um, difficult rhythmically, not difficult to play, but difficult to get all the, get it in time, and the band, the band took a long time. Tr- I've got a lot of, uh, uh, blow and takes on this tune um, that were never, of course, put out but they finally got it together, a great version of Evidence. We followed that with uh, Monk's composition dedicated to uh, his one of his best friends, Bud Powell, the great pianist. It's called In Walk Bud. And then I think my favorite track on the album is was uh, track number four, and uh, that was um, uh composition called I Mean You. And then we heard the... Um, master take of Monk's famous composition Blue Monk uh, with of course um, Spanky DeBrest on bass and we followed Blue Monk with a tune based on George Gershwin's I Got Rhythm and it's Monk's version of that tune it's called Rhythmining and the final tune recorded uh, at the very tail end of the session Uh, they decided to do one more tune and uh, Johnny Griffin put his tune um, before the band, and they said, yeah, let's play it. And uh, uh, they managed to complete it in one take, and uh, the band was uh, exhausted by that time, but they played it and kind of summed up the whole session, and the the final tune was Griffin's composition, a minor key blues called Purple Shades. So that's it, and uh, there we have it. The classic Atlantic recording, Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers with Thelonious Monk. That's our jazz feature this evening, celebrating the birthday anniversaries of these two great musicians born under the astrological sign of Libra. And a lot of great musicians are born under that sign, I'll tell you. There's more, and we're going to hear more later on in the show. As a matter of fact, our next artist, his birthday is tomorrow. And his name, well, he he was born in New York City. His uh, birth name was Julius Gubenko. And uh, Julius was born into a prominent uh, uh, Jewish immigrant family. And, of course, he changed his name later on and became Terry Gibbs. And Terry Gibbs became one of the great uh, Vibes players of all times. And... Uh, of course, played with Woody Herman's band, played with all kinds of uh, wonderful people. And uh, Terry is going to be um, celebrating his 91st birthday tomorrow, uh, October 13th. He's still alive and well. He's written a book. Um, he record- He's recorded prolifically. Um, as I said, he started his career uh, as a drummer, uh, switched to vibes, played with uh, Woody Herman's band, uh, formed his own band starting in the early 50s and was one of the great uh, icons of jazz and one of the great voices of the vibes. And I'm going to play you some tracks from a recording that he is particularly proud of. It was done in 1974 in New York. Terry now lives in Los Angeles, um, but he was living still living in New York at the time, and he did this album uh, for Xanadu Records. And It features a wonderful New York rhythm section with Barry Harris on piano, the great Sam Jones on bass, and one of the finest drummers on the planet, Alan Dawson. And the album is called Bopstickle Course, And, of course, um, (laughs) it features uh, Terry Gibbs. He has a wonderful sense of humor uh, as well. He's a a real character. And he's so animated uh, when he plays. He uh, he still uh, chews gum. And uh, just as moves around the vibes, uh, he's quite unbelievable. And it's, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, it's a form of showmanship, but it, it shows his, his incredible um, energy and enthusiasm and love for the music. And so our next uh, segment on the jazz show is uh, some tracks from this album. Just like to remind you, though, that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9. Uh, on the FM dial and, of course, uh, on your computer, www.citr.ca. And my name's Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. And as promised, here's uh, Terry Gibbs. We're going to begin with the title track. It's called Bopstickle Course. And then we're going to move to um, a tune, uh, a Terry Gibbs... uh, Oh, and uh, by the way, two Terry Gibbs compositions... Uh, The title track, Bobstacle Course, and the second tune is entitled Waltz for My Children, both written by Terry Gibbs. Then we're going to move to a beautiful version of uh, Louise Bonfa's Morning of the Carnival from the... uh, from the great movie, uh, Black Orpheus. And uh, then we may play a couple of others from this album because as I said, Terry Gibbs is very proud of this album and I think this is a good way to honor his birthday. Play an album that he likes and I know that you're gonna like it too. So we begin with Bobsticle Course*. Terry Gibbs, tomorrow, happy birthday. We just pay tribute to wonderful Vibes player who is still with us. His birthday is tomorrow, October 13th. He was born in New York City, October 13th, 1924. He'll be 91 years old. He's still with us. He still performs occasionally. He is an amazing personality. And... Um, his son, Jerry, is one of the world's finest drummers as well. And Terry, of course, uh, had uh, many children from several marriages. But uh, he has been with uh, his lady who's present today, Rebecca. She's been with him now for about 30 years. And uh, he is uh, maintains that he's the happiest he's ever been, and he's enjoying life and uh, ready to uh, continue Terry Gibbs, an amazing personality. He lives in uh, Los Angeles uh, at this point. He's also written a book, biographical book, and uh, of course his history in jazz music is long and interesting. You know that uh, Terry was um, hired John Coltrane's widow, when she was Alice McLeod, and uh, Alice McLeod, before she became Mrs. John Coltrane, um, toured with uh, Terry Gibbs for many years and was his his piano player in his uh, working quartet, and uh, that's just one small aspect of uh, Terry Gibbs' uh, history, but uh, this is a, um, we heard a whole bunch of tracks from an album that he is particularly proud of and uh, enjoys his own playing on it and Why not? Because he he was uh, hand-picked, this great New York rhythm section, Barry Harris on piano, who is still with us, Sam Jones on bass, the late Sam Jones and the late Alan Dawson on drums, and of course Terry on vibes, recorded uh, July 10th, 1974, Or Xanadu Records. It's not easy to find. Bobstacle Course is the name of the album, and we heard the title track, written by Terry Gibbs, followed by another Gibbs composition called simply "Waltz for My Children." Then we went to a a nice, uh, fast samba, light samba version of "Morning of the Carnival," written by Louise Bonfa, and. course, was the theme song of the famous movie Black Orpheus*. Then a uh, Terry Gibbs composition, a very sweet thing called Kathleen, and the final tune was a standard tune, which was actually Tommy Dorsey's theme song, and I'm getting sentimental over you. Terry Gibbs, 91 years young, and I uh, thought I'd present some of his music to you, and I hope you Enjoyed his uh, excursions on, on the vibes. Mm-hmm. We're going to uh, continue uh, in just a moment. Just like to remind you that you are listening to the Jazz Show on CITR. My name is Gavin Walker, and of course we're also on the web, www.citr.ca, and of course we live stream from uh, right out here at the studio. On unceded Musqueam territory, right out here at the University of British Columbia. And we're going to carry on with uh, a regular feature right now. I think you'll know what, you might even know what this is. yeah we uh have a little uh, little taste of uh of the weather here to tell you about uh of course tonight is uh, a few showers it's been kind of a showery thanksgiving weekend you know but uh, i think uh, everybody has enjoyed the holiday and and this kind of thing and and we're used to this this kind of weather i mean we if it goes on for too long we begin to really complain about it but uh, you know the rain is is kind of nice, and and uh, I don't know. I think the rain can give people energy too. Um, there's there's ions in the air, and somehow, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it's very interesting the way the weather transforms here in Vancouver. And of course, it's definitely fall. So tonight, a few uh, a few showers uh, ending uh, in the evening, and then it's going to be uh, cloudy with some fog patterns with a low down to uh, 12 degrees tonight. And we're back uh, to the grind tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be cloudy in the morning, but then becoming, uh, we'll probably get some sunny breaks in the afternoon. There'll be a, a mix of sun and cloud and, uh, with a low of 12 and a high of 14. Then the outlook for Wednesday is, is fairly pleasant, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 8 and a high of 15. And then on Thursday, uh, it's actually sunny with uh, a low of 9 and a high of 16. And uh, that sounds really nice. All right, and Friday, uh, back to a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 9 and a high of 17. Fairly pleasant throughout the week. And then Saturday, a bit of a downturn with a 60% chance of a shower with a low of 9 and a high of 15. So there you have the weather. All right. We're going to play for you... Honoring the birthday anniversary of the late, great Art Tatum, who is considered by most people to be the absolute epitome of jazz piano playing. Art Tatum was the favorite of Oscar Petersons, Bud Powell's, Teddy Wilson, Fats Waller. Nobody but nobody could touch Art Tatum. His technique was beyond reproach. He was admired, uh, and they came out. They would go to uh, places where they usually don't go. Classical piano players like Vladimir Horowitz and 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 uh, Rubinstein and people like that would go to black after hours clubs and and um, sit enthralled and listen to Art Tatum because they realized. That he was on the same um, magnitude of virtuosity as they were, and uh, he was held in the in the highest esteem by most classical pianists. He was born in Toledo, Ohio, uh, on the thirteenth of October, which is tomorrow, in nineteen oh nine. And um, Art Tatum was uh, almost blind throughout his life. He died in 1956 and he was 90 percent blind. He only had a little bit of vision and of course uh, that was amazing. Um, the fact that he could play the way he he did but you see Art Tatum could take a tune and completely reharmonize it it um, spontaneously and he did this all the time. Um uh, he 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 he, um, he was like an orchestra he treated the piano as an orchestra, and of course uh, he led some small groups as well and had some great recordings uh, where he collaborated with other musicians and I think uh oh later on this year we may do a jazz feature of art a famous recording with Lionel Hampton, art Tatum, and Buddy Rich together. They did several albums for Norman grants, and those albums to me are some of the most incredible jazz music we have played some on the show but uh, we're not going to touch it this evening but we will get around I think we'll do a jazz feature um, maybe in November or December uh, of that particular band but what I'd like to play for you right now are the recordings that shocked the world these were his very first recordings and it goes back to the 21st of March 1933 in New York City And we're going to listen to Art play four tunes. This is his very, very first recording date. And uh, this is what shocked everybody. They couldn't believe what they heard. When these recordings came out and uh, word got around about Art Tatum, most piano players were running for the nearest hiding place because (laughs) they really knew um, where Art was right here. So the first piece of music is a famous tune by... um, the guy who led the uh, original Dixieland jazz band, uh, Nick LaRocca. And uh, the tune is a very famous tune recorded by so many people called the Tiger Rag. That's the very first tune, and that kicks things off. Then we uh, hear Tatum's uh, reorchestration of W.C. Handy's famous St. Louis blues, which is not a blues, but that's what it was called, St. Louis blues. And then we're going to hear Duke Ellington's beautiful ballad, Sophisticated Lady, and the final tune was written by Vincent Humans and Irving Caesar, and we all know that tune. It's called T for Two. So here are the first four recordings by the great Art Tatum. Thank you. Yes, well, (laughs) Art Tatum leaves me speechless and breathless. I'll tell you, one of the uh, greatest of all pianists, and we heard four tracks, uh, first of all, from his very first recordings uh, when he arrived in New York and uh, was um, recorded um, the 21st of March of 1933 for the Brunswick label, and we heard four tunes by a young Art Tatum, and of course when these records were distributed, uh, it was not very long before he had uh, all the piano players running for cover, and uh, back to the practice room. Um, But no matter how much you practiced, I don't think anybody could play like Art Tatum. He was just naturally gifted. He was one of those People that was above and beyond, and even a virtuoso like Oscar Peterson worshipped Art Tatum, and unfortunately he was uh, died from uh, uremic poisoning, which is a, a, a kidney ailment, uremia, and uh, died in 1956. He wasn't that old. Uh, he, as I said, he was born October 13th, 1909, in Toledo, Ohio, and. Uh, uh, was uh, 90% um, uh, sight-impaired and um, lived his life that way. An amazing musician. So we heard uh, these first four tunes, beginning with Nick LaRocca's Tiger Rag, W.C. Handy's St. Louis Blues, Duke Ellington's Sophisticated Lady, and Vincent Newman's Tea for Two from these his first four recordings. And then we moved. The final tune was from a 1949 recording, And uh, it's always been one of my favorites. It's, again, another W.C. Handy composition, a sophisticated blues uh, that he called Aunt Hagar's Blues. And it was always a favorite of Art Tatum's. And, of course, this is one of his definitive recordings from uh, 1949 in L.A. All right. Our tribute to the late, great Art Tatum. Now another musician who is still with us. I'm talking about... Saxophonist, alto saxophonist Lee Konitz. And Lee Konitz is still very much alive, performs, travels all over the place. Um, unbelievable. And uh, has got so much energy. Lee Konitz uh, was born in Chicago uh, on October 13th. And um, uh, as I said, he's, uh, I think he's 87 years old uh, tomorrow. And uh, just <laughs> an amazing um, musician who's uh, had had an incredible long life. And Konitz was one of the, of course, he's on so many historic recordings, like the famous Miles Davis' Birth of the Cool sessions. Uh, He recorded, of course, and studied, was a a big part of uh, pianist uh, Lenny Tristano's organizations. Konitz recorded prolifically under his own name in the 50s and, uh, and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and um, all kinds of uh, uh, wonderful uh, dates that involved Lee Konitz with his very distinctive sound. He was one of the first, if not the first, um, modern alto saxophonist. And he was Lee Konitz was a huge influence on Paul Desmond as well. Um, and Desmond, of course, was one of the most uh, individually identifiable alto saxophonists who did not sound like Charlie Parker. Lee Konitz was the other one, and he was the first, really. Um, he he developed a concept, and he's been asked. He's very funny and and very acerbic. He's also a favorite of Charles Mingus's too. And um, when Mingus died in 1979, um, Lee Konitz's one comment. He said, "I'm going to miss the old fart." Uh, um, he, he he really enjoyed uh, Mingus's company and had a lot uh that was what he had to say at the time when he heard about Mingus's death but he elaborated on his relationship with Charles Mingus but um Konitz interestingly enough um also has uh, um been a, a teacher he's he's also uh, uh, mentors young musicians as well and uh, and uh, just an amazing uh, amazing personality oh and of course he he, he really um, made some great statements when he was a member of Stan Kenton's orchestra in the in the early 50s. So he's had an incredible career. You can always check him out on the internet. Uh, there's always so much information on there. We're going to go back to a date that Lee Konitz did. in. Um, it's a live date done at the Copley Square Hotel in Boston. Um, and that ho- hotel, the Copley Square Hotel, housed the jazz club called Storyville. And it was run by the, the great... George Wien, of course, who uh, went on to produce the Newport Jazz Festival. And this was recorded in January of 1954, and this was a a session with uh, with Lee. He was on his own by this time, leading his own bands. And he picked a a very fine uh, British piano player named Ronnie Ball. And uh, on bass, taking a brief vacation from the modern jazz quartet, is the redoubtable Percy Heath on bass. And uh, a very, very fine drummer who went on to live many years in Europe, but is put in time with Stan Getz and all kinds of people, L. Levitt on drums. And so we're going to hear this quartet. We're going to hear some tunes from there uh, that are very distinctive um, Lee Konitz compositions. Uh, some are Lee Konitz compositions, and, and also just his individual sound and uh, his concept. And you'll get a good idea of what Lee Konitz is all about on these recordings. The first um, composition is his own that he has played and recorded with many people. The tune is called Subconsciously, and um, it was, it's based on uh, what is this thing called love. Of course, a lot of great tunes were based on that standard. The second tune is called Soundly, Soundly. And then we're going to hear a little introduction to the next set by uh, host John McClelland. And we hear a uh, Konitz composition called Ablution, which is based on All the Things You Are. And the set ends with a lovely version of the standard, These Foolish Things Remind Me of You, and a closing announcement by, once again, John McClellan. So here then is some great stuff by the still with us and wonderful alto saxophonist Lee Konitz. <laughs>
0: I'm Thank <laughs> you.
2: again. This is John McClellan speaking to you from a table just off stage here at George Ween's Storyville at the Copley Square Hotel in Boston. Tonight you're listening to the Lee Konitz Quartet with Ronnie Ball at the piano, Percy Heath bass, Al Levitt drums, and the alto saxophone of Lee Konitz, who will be here through Sunday night. Incidentally, this week promises a rather unusual treat. Friday night is opening night for a 10-day stand by the Earl Garner Trio, so that on the regular Sunday afternoon jam sessions you'll be able to hear the Earl Garner Trio, the Lee Konitz Quartet, And the Mahogany Hall All-Stars, with a regular Sunday afternoon policy of no cover and no minimum charge. In weeks to come, you'll hear on these Tuesday night broadcasts the Arrow Garner Trio, Dave Brubeck, and many others. And now, here once again is Lee Konitz. (laughs) minutes, you've been listening to the Lee Konitz Quartet, coming to you direct from George Ween Storyville at the Copley Square Hotel in Boston. Featured along with Downbeat Award winner Lee Konitz on Aldo Sax, with a young star from England, Ronnie Ball at the piano, Percy Heath on bass, and Al Levitt drums. Friday night will be opening night for the Errol Garner Trio, which will be broadcasting next Tuesday night at 11.35, to be followed the next week by Dave Brubeck, so until Saturday night at 7, when I'll be bringing you The Top Shelf, this is John McClellan saying goodnight from Storyville.
1: <laughs> the dulcet tones of uh, the great John McClellan, uh, as he sounded uh, the night of January 5, 1954, at the, uh, the Copley Square Hotel, which housed the nightclub Storyville. And we heard the Lee Konitz Quartet, as Mr. McClellan so lucidly told you about. Lee on, of course, alto saxophone, Ronnie Ball on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and Al Levitt on drums. And we heard uh, four tunes. Uh, three of them were Lee Konitz compositions. The first one was entitled Subconscious Lee, a second tune was entitled Sound Lee, and the third tune was entitled Ablution, and the fourth tune the great standard, These Foolish Things, remind me of you. And, of course, Mr. Konitz, tomorrow, will be celebrating birthday number 87. And uh, he's still going strong. Amazing musician, um, great longevity, and, of course, has been part of jazz history for so many years, since the 40s, really. And uh, Konitz, one of the most distinctive voices of the alto saxophone we hope you enjoyed some of uh, his music and uh, that particular um, set the Storyville set has always been uh, close to one of my favorite Konitz albums I have a few others as well we're going to turn now to bassist Ray Brown who is celebrating an anniversary birthday tomorrow as well and Ray Brown, of course, is one of the all-time great bass players in jazz history. Jimmy Blanton was really the first modern bassist, of course, and Jimmy died young. Uh, he was with Duke Ellington, and he um, he died in 1942. But Jimmy Blanton really spawned modern bass players. Charles Mingus, Oscar Pettiford, and Ray Brown. Ray Brown came on the scene in the 1940s and uh, joined Dizzy Gillespie's um, famous big band and of course became one of the most prominent bassists in jazz throughout the 50s and early 60s throughout the 60s too um, he was part of, of course one of the great trios in jazz music the Oscar Peterson trio and uh, so much of his work was uh, was with Oscar, but he did work with all kinds of people. Ray Brown was just the leading bass player. And I remember when I had a, a short dalliance uh, with the bass. I won't get into the story of why, but um, that's a kind of a long, convoluted tale. But anyway, uh, I took up the bass for a little while, and, and uh, I did have... A, a very fine acoustic bass that was loaned to me by Don Thompson, and so I went to uh, uh, um, a young gentleman who was uh, who was teaching bass here in Vancouver. Unfortunately, he passed away. Great uh, bass player named uh, William Vandenbelt, and um, many people remember him. He's a great guy. And so, of course, I went with all kinds of ambitious things in my mind. Because I loved, you know, Charles Mingus naturally, and and, and so on and so forth, and, and some different bass players, and and so I said to um, to Bill, I said, you know, I I I really want to play like Charles Mingus, and he kind of looked at me. He says, forget it, <laughs> forget it. Mingus is too personal. Uh, y- y- you're going to spend a lifetime trying to sound sound like him. He said, here's what I advise. Um, you study. He said, you got lots of records. And I said, yeah. He said, you have lots of records of Ray Brown. I said, yes, I do. He said, "Uh, I will write a couple of Ray Brown solos out for you to learn. And then you can uh, can expand on that by listening to records. And and, uh, it's a good exercise. You can uh, uh, write out some of his solos uh, from the records, do it yourself and learn them, uh, because that's the bass player to learn from. He plays fundamental bass. Mingus is, is far too personal. He does things that are beyond the bass, whereas Ray Brown plays the bass and 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 plays within the the limitations of the bass, but takes it to a completely different level. And he'd be the guy to learn from. And then you can go from there. You want to if you want to develop on the instrument and, and, and of course I kind of wondered where he was coming from on that. Uh, I was so full of um, idealism, and and, and uh, y- you know when you're young, you're full of yourself as well. And I thought, what the hell is he talking about? And it took me a little while. Then I realized, I started listening to Ray Brown at just his bass solos and stuff, and I began to say, yeah, he's got a good point there. This is the guy to learn from, and because uh, he plays such great, clear lines and and keep such great time that's the that's the ultimate task of a jazz bass player so and of course ray brown is the one one of the most influential bassists uh, in jazz and and rightfully so anyway uh that's that's my bass story and and uh so i'm going to play some ray brown for you with his uh This really nice album, he's the leader on this album, and this is his trio of the time, Uh, the great late Gene Harris on piano, um, and Gene Harris is a favorite of uh, a very good friend of mine, Jerry Palkin. Uh, Gene Harris is his man, (laughs) and uh, I can see why, Uh, amazing piano player, and the great Jeff Hamilton on drums, who will be coming to play uh, right here in Vancouver very soon. On tenor saxophone, a uh, wonderful musician, Ralph Moore. I've always liked his playing. Uh, great player. And we're going to hear some tunes from this album. Uh, it's called simply the Ray Brown Trio with Ralph Moore. And it, uh, the title of this album, the subtitle is Moore Makes Four. So there you go. Uh, we're going to open with a West Montgomery tune called S.O. And that's a great tune. Then we're going to... Um, do uh, go from there to a tune by Charlie Parker based on uh, the chord progressions of Embraceable You, and the tune is called Quasimodo. And we'll take a couple of other tunes uh, from this wonderful album as well, tell you what they are when we're finished listening to them. So here is the Ray Brown trio plus tenor saxophonist Ralph Moore, and we open with S.O.S. by Wes Montgomery. (laughs)
0: Hey, <laughs> we
1: tribute to bassist Ray Brown. This is a very fine album and uh, we heard uh, a lot from a wonderful tenor player who has been operating under the radar for the last few years but I know he's back uh, playing again. Um, He kind of uh, disappeared for a little while. His name is Ralph Moore and he was uh, very prominently featured on this because the album is called uh, Moore Makes Four. And what this is, of course, was the Ray Brown trio. Ray Brown, of course, born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today, it's now past midnight, October 13th, 1926, and Ray, of course, would have been 89 years old. He lived to 75 and was one of the great all-time bassists. And uh, Ray Brown, of course, is on so many Oscar Peterson records and dates of his own and Uh, just an incredible musician and really, um, really wrote the book on how to play the bass, Ray Brown. That's how you play jazz bass, you know, really. Uh, So Ray was on bass here, Ralph Moore on tenor saxophone, as I mentioned, the, the featured star here on piano, the great Gene Harris, and on drums, Jeff Hamilton and uh, one of the finest drummers on the planet. And Jeff will be coming with his own trio to Vancouver very soon. I'll give you some information on that. Uh, we heard a bunch of tunes uh, by Ray as a tribute to uh, Mr. Brown. Uh, we opened with uh, Wes Montgomery's great tune, S.O.S. Then we went to uh, a tune written by Charlie Parker, um, based on the chord progressions of Gershwin's Embraceable You, and it was called Quasimodo. And then we moved to a a Ray Brown composition called Ralph's Boogie. And then we moved to a Rodgers and Hart tune, My Romance. And the final tune was written by John Burks, Dizzy Gillespie. And that was The Champ. Our tribute, small tribute to the great bassist Ray Brown. We're going to play you something now by Oliver Nelson in a big band. This is a rare recording. This is a recording done in 1975 by a band of, um, that Oliver put together, uh, the Oliver Nelson All-Stars, and it's sort of a, a small, big band. Um, we feature, of course, Oliver on alto saxophone, and the wonderful, the late, great Bobby Bryant, one of the heaviest trumpet players around, uh, is on here. Uh, Jerome Richardson is uh, playing uh, uh, baritone saxophone flute. Uh, various other instruments. The great Buddy Collette is here on tenor, saxophone, and flute. Bobby Bryant Jr., Bobby Bryant's son, of course, on tenor, saxophone, and flute. And Jack Nimitz on baritone, saxophone. Mike Wofford on piano and electric piano. Chuck DeMonico on bass, on electric bass, that is. And Shelley Mann on drums. So this is kind of an all-star L.A. band. And we're going to hear three tunes from this great date, two by Oliver Nelson. We're going to hear Stolen Moments, which is his most famous composition. Then we're going to hear a short version of Sonny Rollins' St. Thomas. And then we're going to hear a great, another great tune by Oliver Nelson called Three Seconds. So here then, to close our show this evening, is this rare album called Stolen Moments, recorded in Los Angeles, March the 6th. Nineteen seventy five, and here is Stolen Moments.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: We heard three great tunes by uh, the Oliver Nelson LA All-Stars recorded in Los Angeles March 6, 1975. This is a late period of, album of uh, Oliver Nelson's. It's called Stolen Moments. Of course, that's the name of his most famous tune. We heard Oliver solo on alto saxophone on all three tunes and some powerhouse trumpet by the one and only the late great Bobby Bryant. And there were other L.A. all-stars in the band, Jerome Richardson, Buddy Collette, and uh, Bobby Bryant Jr. on uh, saxophones and flutes, and Jack Nimitz on baritone saxophone, Mike Wofford on um, piano, uh, acoustic piano and electric piano, Chuck DeMonico on electric bass, and the great Shelley Mann on drums. So a small, big band, and of course, uh, arrangements by the great Oliver Nelson, we heard, Uh, Opening the set was his uh, most famous composition, Stolen Moments. And the second tune uh, was written, of course, by Sonny Rollins, and that was Oliver's arrangement of St. Thomas. And the final tune, again, was a uh, great Oliver Nelson composition, one of my favorites, called Three Seconds. And uh, that, inclu- that concludes, <laughs> it includes Oliver Nelson, but it also concludes the jazz show this evening. We hope uh, that you uh, were around for the, a good part of the show and enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week with uh, more of the same. My name's Gavin Walker, and I'd like to thank you very much for being out there and listening this evening on behalf of CITR FM 101.9. Or on the web, www.citr.ca, and of course we're located right out here at the University of British Columbia on Unceded Musqueam Territory. Before we go, we'd just like to mention that um, a couple of great websites to get onto. That's uh, the first one is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. There's all kinds of stuff on there that you should check out. It's really great and it's very comprehensive. And there's a lot of information there and stuff. You can buy tickets. You can check out who's playing what, where, when, all this kind of stuff. And it's coastaljazz.ca. The other website, of course, is uh, put together my, by my good friend Brian Nation, and that is vancouverjazz.com. That's also a very, very comprehensive website. And every every week on Jazz on the Air, we put up our jazz features, and you can read about them on that particular website so uh, that's vancouverjazz.com and uh, of course uh, my good friend uh, Ken Speller um, I usually mention all this stuff early in the show but uh, I didn't do it this evening so I'm saying it now so uh, Ken Speller is, uh, teaches music and he comes around to your house and will actually teach you the flute, clarinet, saxophone, whatever, uh, read instruments Music at home, and um, that's one of the things he does. The other thing he does is repair instruments. So, if you play uh, any of those instruments and are a professional, amateur, or just a beginner, uh, you need an instrument that is in good shape, and uh, he will get your instrument in good shape. Sometimes they require an overhaul, sometimes just a tweak, but Ken does all his work from his home, so he keeps his prices very, very, very reasonable. And uh, he can tell you all about the type of horn you're playing and how good it is and all that kind of stuff and get it into shape for you. So he's located at the 13th and Lonsdale area in North Vancouver. 778 800 1933 is his phone number 778 800 1933 or K Speller, K S P E L L E R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. K Speller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Ken Speller. Good man to know. Anyway, that's it for the jazz show this evening. Uh, Once again, thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next Monday night. And I hope you had a really, really nice Thanksgiving. (laughs)
0: ba do ba dee oo doom doo wee ba do doo we do we